Good morning, everybody. Just before we get into God's Word and look at a passage that uh, hopefully speaks to your heart and to mine, um, just a few announcements from uh, the church leadership, from us on staff, and from the board as a whole. Um, this is not ideal. We know that this is not um, ideal to be doing this again. This is not fun for me to be speaking to my phone. This is not fun to not have anybody else uh, around while I do this. And yet it's where we're at right now. We um, might be tempted to think that we are going back to what it was like in March and in April. And although it may feel like that, that's not true. We are far more prepared as a church. Uh, Ontario is far more prepared. We just in general are more prepared. We've done this before and we know what this is like. Um, there is an update on the website from Dwight and the board. There's a little video and a little blurb there. There's also a blurb from Sam. Please, uh, please go there and, and see what they have to say to you as, as our church family. Uh, there's a couple of things I just want to update you on in terms of what we as the staff are going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Um, the plan is right now, and again, things can change, uh, and the Lord may change our direction over the next week or so, but our plan right now is to meet in a week, just over a week, January 4th, and uh, we will figure out how to do this again. Um, it may seem like we're just limping along for this week and next Sunday, and um, I guess, in fact, that's kind of true. We're just going to try to get through these next couple of weeks. The Christmas season kind of threw a wrench into the works, but we are going to meet and we are going to figure out how to start meeting together again. Under lockdown regulations, we are still allowed to hold services. The numbers are drastically changed. We're only allowed to have 10, but we will be looking at having services for 10 people. We will figure out how we can make that work because we still want to be able to meet. There are some people in our congregation who desperately need to see and be together with other people. And so we want to find ways of doing that. We want to find ways of uh, continuing to do communion. We went for six or eight months without having communion, and we want to be able to fellowship together in that way. Um, we want to be able to look at um, potentially doing music as well. We're going to look at that. We're going to try to figure it out, and we are going to shoot for the middle of January. Again, things can change, but please know that your staff, your church leadership, your elders and deacons, we are working very hard to make sure that um, a repeat of March and April does not happen. We want to be back together, and just because we are doing this right now does not mean we are not pushing forward to get back together again. So that's a word from uh, myself, from the rest of the staff, and from your elders and deacons. Now I'd like to turn your attention to the Word of God. He is the one we need to hear from most during times of uncertainty and discouragement. He is the one that we need to be looking for, um, we need to be going to, we need to be trusting the most when we are suffering, discouraged, disappointed. And so I would direct your attention to his word, Philippians chapter 4. Most of you will know that we've been working through Philippians over the past couple of months. And I in part wanted to keep going through Philippians because um, I wanted to get to the end of it. I don't want to hold out to the end of the lockdown because we, we may not know, we don't know exactly when it will end. So I partially wanted to finish it. But more importantly, actually, I think that what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 in verses 1 through 9 are very directly applicable for us as we head into another lockdown. Paul is writing, you'll remember, he's writing to believers in Philippi who have gone through the same things that he's gone through. He's in prison right now. He's writing from prison to believers in a, in a church that he and Timothy planted. 
He's writing to believers who have suffered for the sake of Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers who know very well firsthand what it's like to be discouraged, disappointed, persecuted, and to experience suffering. And so what he writes to these believers as he begins to close off his letter is also applicable for us as we are discouraged, disappointed, and have a sense of suffering during this tough time. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read to the end of verse 9. It says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That last line is very encouraging for those of us who feel like nobody is with us. We either may live alone, we may be far away from friends and family, but we can rest assured that in Jesus Christ, the God of peace is with us. There's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to in this passage. Remind, remembering that as Paul ends his letter, he is writing to believers in the midst of suffering. He is writing to believers who have experienced discouragement and disappointment. And Paul writes this letter to these believers, and he wants them to remain committed. Committed to three things or three people. The first thing he wants them to do in the midst of suffering and discouragement, he wants them to remain committed to the Lord. Be committed to the Lord. Verse 1, he says, stand firm in the Lord. He wants them to stay there. Stand on the rock that does not move. You stand in the Lord. In who he is and what he's done. Not in who we are and our abilities. We certainly stand in him and him alone in terms of our salvation. We stand on him and on what he's accomplished on the cross. We do not rest in our own works. We do not stand on ourselves. We stand on him. We stand in his power and his authority. We stand in recognition and acknowledgement that even though there seems to be unending chaos in the world, it's all in his hands. That not one little bit of virus is outside of his control and his sovereignty. The power that he has to raise the dead is the same power that he has to control everything. And he has that power and the authority. We stand on him, not on the authority and power of ourselves again, not on the authority and power of the government of Canada or the government of Ontario. We stand on his power, his authority. We stand firm in the Lord because he is the only constant, the only unchanging one, the only one who will remain the same. 
through all of our difficulties. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in Him. Be committed to the Lord. Verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul calls the believers in Philippi to be committed to the Lord Yes, by standing on him and on his power and his authority and his rule and his reign. You stand firm in him, but be committed to the Lord in prayer as well. Be committed in going to God. Communion with God is the only answer ever given in the scriptures for the relief of anxiety and stress and worry. Go to God in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. We certainly have lots to be anxious about these days. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about what you have, what you own, what you might lose. We read elsewhere in the scriptures, do not be anxious even about your own life. Do not be anxious about anything because you are going to God in prayer. We are meant to go back to him when things don't go right. When everything seems to be slipping through our fingers and we seem to be losing control, we go back to the one who has everything in his control. We go back to him. Our constant excuse in why we don't pray or why we don't do our devotions or go to the scriptures, our constant excuse is I don't have enough time or I'm too busy elsewhere. I've got too many other things going on. I just don't have time. And we reflected on this a little bit back in the spring. When all of those things are stripped away, we have so much time now. When all of those distractions and other things that were good and healthy and right things, but we just jam-packed our lives with so much Well, when our one excuse was, I don't have enough time, when that excuse has been stripped away, how will you be spending your time? Will you be going to him in prayer? Not not out of a sense of of duty, not just because, well, the Bible tells me so. That's true. But because by going to God, by communing with him, you are not just building up that relationship, but in that relationship, God is building up you. He is removing all of your fears and anxieties. We have loads of time, so pray. Go to him. Be comforted by the God of comfort. And as Paul describes him here in this passage, the God of peace. That's what the world needs. It's what we need inside of us, in our hearts, in ourselves. We need God's peace. So Paul says, be committed to the Lord in prayer. Paul also says in verse 4, a verse that we all know, that most of us memorized as children, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul says be committed to the Lord in rejoicing. Not just rejoicing about your situation or your circumstance. Christmases gone by would have been rejoicing and happiness and excitement over things received. For those who might be a little bit more mature than myself, it would have been rejoicing and having a sense of excitement over time spent with family. It would have been Just that communing and fellowship with people that we love and enjoy being around. Paul says that that attitude of rejoicing in the Lord, again, in what he's done, in the salvation we have in him, in the the fact that he is never going to change, that our salvation will never change because of what he's done. We rejoice in the Lord. Our rejoicing is not based on circumstances. It's not based on what we have. It's not based on our personal advancement. It's based on our relationship with God, not personal circumstances. Our rejoicing is based on the salvation we have in Him. 
that truth, that constant. We rejoice in the new person that we are in him. Our rejoicing is based on the time that we actually spend with him in prayer, that communing. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, he knew what the believers were facing in Philippi. He wrote about the fact that he knows that they're experiencing the same things that he's experienced. And he says, rejoice always. Because their call to rejoice was based on relationship. Their relationship with God. It was not based on their situation. And you and I need to hear again the call from Paul to rejoice always, not based on your circumstance, but based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that Paul says. Be committed to the Lord. The second thing that Paul draws our attention to in this passage is the need to be committed to one another, to be committed to each other, to believers, to friends and family, to our church family. Paul says, be committed to each other. Paul was committed to the believers in Philippi. We see that over and over again. He loved these these people dearly. He calls them brothers and sisters in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, he describes them as my joy and crown. He loved them very much. He was committed very much to their well-being. He wanted them to grow spiritually. He wanted them to, to experience the fullness of who God was and the salvation that they had in him. And he wanted them to grow and express that gospel grace that they had experienced. And he wanted them to just let it flow out of who they were and to show it to the world. Paul cared for these believers. In verse 2, we read, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul wanted these two women to be committed to each other. He wanted them to repair something that was broken. That is their relationship. He wanted them to come back together. They'd been drawn apart. They had been pulled apart. And he wanted them to come back and, and commit themselves again to each other. We're not told what went wrong. We're not told what, what had pulled them apart. We're not told in this passage at all that there was any moral failing, that there was any theological failure on either of their part, that there was something terribly wrong in and of themselves in their ministry that they were doing. We're not told any of that. We're just told that they were apart and needed to come back together. The one thing Paul does describe about them is that they have contended at my side, that is Paul's side, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and others, and that their names, Euodia and Syntyche, their names are written in the book of life. These are sisters in the Lord who have been pulled apart for whatever reason, and he pleads with them, both of them, equally, come back together. And the reason they come back together is because they're not coming back together to do as Paul has said. They're not coming back together to get into Paul's frame of mind in terms of ministry or Clement's mind or Timothy's mind. He wants them to come back together and have the same mind in the Lord. He wants their foundation to be the Lord, not each other. He wants their foundation to be the Lord, not not the church in Philippi. He doesn't even want their foundation to be himself. He wants their foundation to be the Lord. And he says, come back together. Be repaired, be restored, be committed to each other. They had drifted apart and needed to come back together in the Lord because only the Lord is the constant. He is the only constant in our ever-changing world. Paul goes on in verse 3 and he talks about his true companion. 
some people aren't quite sure. Is he just saying true companion in general? That, that is, whoever he's sending this letter to, do they know who his true companion is? Or is it is it a first name? We're not quite sure. But he's writing to an individual, and he says, you, my true companion, help these women. That is, we aren't to leave each other to fix our own problems. You and I will have our own pl- problems that we need to fix. And yet, you and I will need to come beside each other and beside others in our fellowship who are having a hard time seeing eye to eye. We are called to come and be a help to each other, not to leave each other stranded. Certainly help in the sense of anyone who is in need, we need to feed them. Anyone who is in need, we need to clothe them. But here, this is talking about broken relationships. You and I are meant to be the nice ointment that helps smooth over some of those, those pains, those scars. We help bring each other back together. And this individual, whoever they are, they are asked by Paul to help. And that word help, it, it's got a sense of um, grabbing onto, taking hold of, and drawing in, pulling back. In the same way that you grab a fishing net, and you think of Peter and the other apostles who were fishermen, they, they, they threw the net out, and they took hold of that net, and they drew it back in towards the boat. That's the, the mental picture we should have for this true companion of Paul's in bringing these women back together. You take hold of them, and you draw them back in. Not to yourself, but to the Lord. To each other in the Lord. That's what Paul wants. You remain committed to each other through difficult and discouraging times. In experiencing suffering, you remain committed to each other. Verse 5, Paul says this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Paul says that your commitment to others, yes, to believers, but in this verse, he says to all. I would think that all could in this sense mean everyone you come in contact with. All people, when they see you and experience a relationship with you, what they ought to experience is gentleness. This is how everyone ought to experience your constant joy, your constant relationship with God. Gentleness ought to ooze out of you. It ought to be built into your DNA. You ought to be marked by a non-explosive attitude, a non-explosive nature, Somebody who's just calm, compassionate, caring, not looking for a fight. Maybe something that some of us need to hear more clearly in a time where we may disagree with so many other people. Be gentle. Because the Lord is near. Eschatologically, that's true. That is, a thousand years like a day, a day like a thousand years. We don't know when the Lord may return. He is certainly near in terms of His I, his understanding, his perspective outside of time, he is certainly close to, near to coming back. But he's also near you in the sense of he is with you right now. Geographically, he is close to us. He is dwelling within us. We are not alone, whether we feel alone because there's nobody else around us, no other human around us. There is God himself with you right now. That is why we can be gentle. I don't need to be explosive. I don't need to go on a rant. I don't need to be angry because the Lord is with me. Nobody else is. And that's not right. We were built, designed by God to be in community. 
to be in fellowship with one another. But first and foremost, we were built to be in communion with God. And even though everyone else has been stripped away from us, and that will certainly happen as you get older. From what I've seen from my, my own family, my own grandparents, as you get older, family and friends die. Those who are closest to you as you get older, they pass away. And there's a sense of feeling alone. And yet, the Lord is with you. The Lord is near. So Paul says, be committed to the Lord. Don't give up in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Go to him in prayer. He says, be committed to each other. Don't use this as an excuse to bail on each other, to, to stop caring about each other. Oh, I, there's not much I can do. Sorry, I'm out. He says, remain committed to each other through difficult and discouraging times. And the third thing Paul says is be committed to yourself. I want to be careful with how I say that because part of our problem in our culture, our society, is we take on too much of ourselves. We are committed to only ourselves. So that is why I put it in this order. First, we need to be committed to the Lord. He comes first. Then, as we've seen already, put others ahead of yourselves. Be committed to others. Put the interests above, of others above the interests of yourself. Paul has said that a number of times already in the book of Philippians. But we should not think that we should give up on ourselves. Paul says, be committed to yourself. Verse 8, Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul says, be committed to thinking the right way, to thinking the right thoughts and having the right process for those thoughts. Think about good things, right things, holy things, just things. And the only way that you can know what is true and noble and right is to find out what is true and noble and right. That is, I have to know what the standard is before I know that what I'm thinking about falls into one of those categories. And the only way we can know that is by going back to God's Word, going back to the Bible. How do I know what is true? I hold it up against the Word. I hold it up against the scriptures. Is it true? Then think about it. Is it right? Then think about it. We could spend all day. There have been books written about verse 8 alone in terms of figuring out all these different things. What is true? What is right? What is noble? What is lovely? We could spend a lot of time thinking about those things. And we ought to. We ought to find those books to help us figure out what is, what is right what is pure, the things that are admirable. Think about those things and have the right process of thought. Jesus Christ is ultimately, he is the ultimate example of these things. He is the standard of what is true. He is the standard of what is right, noble, pure, lovely, admirable. Jesus is all of those things. In some sense, we are called to think on Christ and to think Christ's Christ's thoughts after him. But Paul follows this up with verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul says, be committed to yourself in thinking the right way, but don't just let it stop there. Put it into practice. Be committed to doing what is right, doing what is pure, doing the things that are admirable. 
It's not enough to just think that these things are good and right if you don't actually put it into practice. Be committed to putting your thoughts into action. Be committed to yourself in the way that you don't want to just let the right way of thinking slide and don't let your your good acts, your God-honoring, Christ-honoring acts, even though we can't get together and do what we used to do, we can still honor God in how we think and what we do. Paul says, in the midst of difficult and discouraging circumstances, don't give up on yourself because God is with you. You're not trying to do it in and of your own strength. You're trying to do it because God is with you. Because you're standing on His power and His ability and His authority to do a good work in you. God's peace-bringing presence. Remember, He's near. God's peace-bringing presence causes His people to act. Causes His people to do. Not just take, but to do. Don't use difficult circumstances. Don't use suffering as an excuse for giving up on the Christian walk. Press on. Press on to know Him. Press on to doing what is right in the eyes of God. Paul does these few things. He marks out these these handful of commitments. Commitment to the Lord. Commitment to each other. Commitment to ourselves. Not in a prideful way but in a God-honoring, thinking and acting God's thoughts after him, acting in a way that follows in the footsteps of Christ. Be committed during this time of discouragement, sadness. Many of us aren't experiencing exactly what these believers were experiencing. That may not be too far off in the in the future. There are certainly believers around the world who are experiencing suffering, persecution on a level that none of us have ever experienced. But that may be coming. We need to hear what Paul says to stand firm in the Lord, to stand firm with each other, and to stand firm as individuals linked arm in arm with our brothers and sisters, standing firm in Him. May God help us to do so. May God help us to follow in the footsteps of Christ.